This is the West Concord Sermon Podcast. Today, we're continuing in our series of the Spirit of Joy Set Free. The passage today comes from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you receive a blessing from today's message. And good morning, and welcome again to Worship with West Concord as we gather around our screens to take in the Word of God. I miss you all, I miss seeing you here, but I'm glad that we're able to meet this way and still communicate the Word of God. And we are going to continue in the book of Philippians this morning as we unpack the subject of the spirit of joy set free. And I hope you found this helpful. I hope you have been able to understand what joy really is. It doesn't depend upon what's happening, that's happiness, and happiness comes and goes. But joy is something that is abiding. Joy is something that is deep and rich. And when we focus upon God, when He becomes everything to us, then we find that joy. You see, it was necessary for God to lead Paul to write the book of Philippians from his prison cell because of many reasons. For one thing, he wanted to thank the Philippians for the gifts that they had given him to help him in his physical time of need. But also, as we've read through the book, there's been an undercurrent. And finally, we come to the climax of that this morning, where we see there was a problem in the church at Philippi. There was some contention. There was some argumentation. There was some, some division. And Paul wanted to remind the people of Philippi that they needed to rejoice in the Lord and not rumble in their disagreements. And so as we continue to examine the aspect of joy and the spirit of joy being set free, we're going to open the Word of God, look at this fourth chapter in the book of Philippians, and seek the remedy for trouble in the tent. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time you've given us around your word this morning. Father, I pray that you'd bless each and every family that is watching and listening to this message. I pray that you'll keep them safe. I pray that you'll keep them buoyed up. And I pray that, Father, we'll get through this virus very soon and we'll be able to gather again in this building. But until then, Father, bless us, teach us, and Father, give us patience and strength. But most importantly, give us your joy so that we might be able to bear up during these difficult times. Now, as we open your word, bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, they had some problems in the church at Philippi. There are some disagreements, as we're going to see in a minute. In other words, despite the pleas and the calls for joy, there was trouble in the tent, trouble among the people. And you say, but pastor, how can that be? That was the first century. That was the New Testament church. I've heard church people say many times, oh, I would love to live back in the New Testament church. I would love to have been a part of a church like Philippi where everything was fresh, everything was new, and everybody was spiritual and it was perfect. Well, I hate to disillusion you, but it wasn't really like that. As a matter of fact, if you peruse some of the letters of Paul, Peter, James, John, you will find out that the church of Jesus Christ back then was anything but perfect. As a matter of fact, from its inception, the church of Jesus Christ never has been perfect. There's always been trouble in the tent. And the reason why is the church is populated by people, people who are fallen, people who are broken. Yes, people who are saved, but saved by grace through faith, yet still involved in sin, still struggling with the old nature still living in these flawed bodies. And because of that, we struggle with one another. 
It's been going on ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve took their eyes off of the center of the universe through their rebellion against God, and they took their focus and put it instead upon themselves, they then became the center of the universe. And a matter of fact, the entire human race is now involved in sin. And each and every person alive, more often than not, sees themselves. You and I do the same thing at times, too. We see ourselves as the center of God's universe instead of God. Now, here's what happens. When you get millions of people, everybody thinking that they're the center of the universe, rubbing against millions of other people who think they're the center of the universe, you're bound to have problems. And so, yes, there's been trouble in the tent since day one. So God led Paul to author the book of Philippians to give a remedy for that reality. And we're going to look at that this morning, and we're going to see how joy and rejoicing works to remedy the situation of trouble in the tent. I love what Howard Hendricks said. Howard Hendricks was a late professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and he dealt with churches. He was an education expert, and he was a wonderful theologian, and he also dealt with church education, as I said, and he said this about churches and about believers in churches. He said, many of us in the church are like porcupines trying to huddle together on a bitter cold night to keep each other warm, but we continually poke and hurt each other the closer we get. Can you imagine porcupines with all their needles and spines trying to huddle together? Well, that's a wonderful way of illustrating how it is in the church of Jesus Christ, how it is in our families, even how it is in our jobs. More often than not, the closer we get to one another, the more we know about each other, the more difficult sometimes life is with each other. And yes, even in the church. So take your Bibles with me as you go to Philippians chapter 4. Before we get there, I have another quote to read to you. It's from D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody is one of my favorite personalities in the history of the church. He was this amazing preacher in 19th century America. Not only did he preach and win thousands upon thousands of people to Christ here in this country, but he also toured Europe in many different evangelistic crusades. And he said this about problems in the church. Now, understand this. When people talk about problems in the church, disagreements, disgruntlements, you know, it's annoying, it's irritating, and yeah, sometimes it's very hurtful. But you know what? The problem goes beyond that. The problem goes beyond our inconvenience or hurt. The problem with disagreements and disgruntlements in the church is that it hinders the mission of the church. D.L. Moody said this. He said, I have never yet known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people were divided. Listen, if we're fighting one another, if we're focused on winning arguments and, and berating our brother and sister in Christ, if we're focused on our own corner of the ministry, we cannot be focused on the, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, nor can we be focused on His mission to communicate the gospel. More often than not, we get caught up in our own wants and needs. We whine, we complain, and if things don't go our way, instead of working it out, we pout, go find our corner and hide, or worse yet, we walk away from a church. And what happens is the work of God is hindered because talent and energy and treasure that can be used for the, for the furtherance of the gospel is instead squandered by petty disagreements and foolish arguments. 
And unfortunately, it oftentimes happens among people who are carrying the greatest load in the church. Sometimes leaders, pastors, deacons, ministry leaders fuss and fight. Somebody gets mad, somebody gets upset, and they turn and they walk away. And when they do that, the ministry doesn't get done. Let me, let me make something very clear at the outset. The ministry of Jesus Christ, the church of the Almighty God, and His mission in that church is way more important than anything you and I could argue or fuss about. What matters most is seeing people come to know Jesus as their Savior and seeing our brothers and sisters walk with Him. Again, Moody said, I've never known the Spirit of God to work when the Lord's people were divided. And He won't. And the church won't. So in Philippians chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 1 where we left off last week. You know, these passages last week and this week sort of overlap a little bit. And so we're going to pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 4 where we left off. And we're going to first of all talk about life's reality. You know, we all see the church and we see Christianity and the world around us the way we want to see it. We often view the world through rose-colored glasses or more, more specifically through self-colored glasses. And this morning, I want to give you a little bite of a reality sandwich. And sometimes that's not pleasant, but it's necessary. And so we're going to look at life's reality within specifically this morning, the church. Yes, churches have difficulty. Yes, oftentimes there is trouble in the tent. And it's because of that friction we talked about earlier. When everybody gets together and they think they're the most important, their ideas are the best, their desires are the most necessary, their needs are the most important, then you're going to have friction. You're going to have difficulty. So as we continue this, we're going to look at life's reality and we're going to look at this friction. And I want you to notice in chapter four, beginning in verse one, it says this. It says, therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren. Paul loved the people at Philippi, Philippi despite their issues. He said, goes on to say, my joy and my crown. Not only did he love them, but he, they brought him great joy despite the issues that were going on. He said this, he said, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. As we said last week, it was necessary to stand firm, to stand fast, to guard your heart and mind and joy in Jesus Christ. So as we look at life's reality, we see in this verse, first of all, the need to be intentionally purposeful because of distraction. Listen, we as the church of Jesus Christ, we've been given a mission and a purpose. We've been commissioned to take the gospel to the lost and to raise up disciples for Jesus Christ. That is why we exist. That is why we're here. That is our purpose. But when we begin to look at our own wants, when we begin to focus on our own desires, when we begin to see the church as we want to see it or want it to, to be the way we want it, we become distracted. And when we become distracted, the mission of the church becomes distracted. So there is a need to be intentionally purposeful, stand fast in the Lord because of this distraction. Not only that, but he goes on to say in verse 2 that there is a need to be inclusively patient because of disagreement. In verse 2, we're going to see a specific situation. You know, there are a lot of personalities in the Bible and oftentimes we get their names mentioned. Now, you know, you and I, if we get our name mentioned in a book or in a newspaper article or somebody mentions this in a conversation, we feel pretty good about it. Somebody knows us, somebody cares about us. And can you imagine if you, you were mentioned in the Bible? 
wow, you'd be historically significant. You'd be remembered for decades, generations, centuries, millennia. But you know, when you're mentioned negatively in the Bible, that may not be a good thing. We're going to look at two ladies here quickly. Verse 2, Paul says, I implore, I beg, Euodia, and I implore Syntyche. Those are quite unusual names, but those were common names uh, in this Gentile church. He says, I beg, Euodia and Syntyche. These were two women. He said, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Evidently, they weren't happy with one another. They were bickering with one another. And it wasn't just something that was isolated to them. This was affecting the entire church. So much so that Paul in prison was inspired by God's Spirit to, to note this, to mark them out, and to encourage them. And so here you see this. He says, I encourage you, ladies, be of the same mind. What is the same mind they need to be of? Well, it goes back to standing fast in the Lord. They need to focus on why they're there in the first place. I'm sure each of them had a better way to run the church. I'm sure each of them had better ideals on how the church should operate. But listen, it is God's church. It is Jesus' church. And Jesus said in Matthew 16, I will build my church. And therefore, we have to understand that we work for him. And so we see in this reality scenario the need to be inclusively patient because of disagreement. We need to include one another, not argue with each other. No one knows any better than anybody else. You know, God has raised up pastors and deacons and elders and teachers and leaders to lead the church. And they're not perfect. They make mistakes. But we need to be inclusively patient with one another. We're not always going to agree. Listen, we're all different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different jobs. We've come from different parts of the world, maybe different parts of this county. We live in different areas. We're different politically. All sorts of differences that go on. How are we supposed to agree? How are we supposed to do that? Well, it goes back to focusing on our Messiah and our mission. When we agree on that, the differences fall away. So we've got to be inclusively patient with one another to get rid of those distractions and those disagreements. Another thing he goes on to talk about, the need to be in, incisively peacekeeping because of the division. Now, Euodia and Syntyche were arguing, they were fussing, and it was so bad that Paul had to mention it. And Paul, he was in Rome. He was in prison. He was incarcerated. There, he couldn't go there and, and deal with it personally. So look what he says as we continue in verse 3. He says, I urge also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. Well, who is this true companion? Well, it is believed by uh, many Bible scholars that rather than being translated true companion, this was actually a proper name of someone, a leader in the church, because the Greek here is the Greek word sitsagos. And this literally means uh, someone who is yoked or, or someone who is a companion. So either way, Paul is either talking to an individual in the church who was close to him or he was talking to this man, Sitsagos, saying, look, I need your help. You need to mediate and come between, and you need to work this situation out. He says, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. You know, these are, these are important ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. These aren't just crabs who are causing trouble. These were valued people. And understand this, everybody in the church who names the name of Jesus Christ is valued. 
because God hasn't gifted them with a spirit for ministry. And so these ladies were valued. And he said, I urge you to help these women come together. They need to be of the same mind, focused on Christ. He says, with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. In other words, it was necessary for the whole church to come together and not to criticize these ladies, not to condemn them, and not to take sides. I'm amazed at how often church members in a dispute will take sides. Listen, your side and my side doesn't matter. What matters is that we're on God's side, that we side with Him. It's not us against them, it's Him for all of us. And so it was necessary for them in this difficult time to be incisively peacekeeping, understand what's going on, and seek to keep the peace, because if that didn't happen, there'd be division. And if there is division in the church, the work of God is hindered. If there's disagreement, argument, disgruntlement, the work of God gets stopped. And that is obscene. That is shameful, and it should never happen. And so it compels us that we need to quit bumping and rubbing against each other and we need to come together and focus on that main purpose. Focus on our Messiah, Jesus Christ, focus on his mission. So in life's reality, through all this fiction, there's the need to be intentionally purposeful because of distractions. There are going to be distraction. They're going to be distracting circumstances. They're going to be distracting events and they're going to be distracting people. But we need to, we need to purposely focus on what we're doing. Stand fast in the Lord. There's the need to be inclusively patient because of disagreement. Get over yourself and listen to what that person has to say. You might find out that they could be right or you may be able to help to lead them in the right way. But there should not be that disagreement. It should be, should be avoided by being incisively patient. And finally, there needs to be incisive peacekeeping. We need to get involved and we need to say, listen, let's work this out. And it involves more than just the two people fighting. It involves the whole church lovingly coming alongside of them and work it out. You know, that's the reality of life. Listen, Churches have people in them that fuss. I don't care how big the church is. I don't care how rich the church is. You know, oftentimes people will leave the church. I've had people leave this church and said, oh, I'm going to another church because at one point or another, there is too much fussing and fuming, which really was an exaggeration. But nonetheless, they left. And I said, where are you going to go? Well, I'm going to go to such and such church because they have a wonderful spirit. They're peaceful. They're loving. You know what the truth is? Probably not that way at all. Oh, I'm sure there's love and I'm sure there's all kinds of good things. But once, listen, once you get in, this, in, in the kitchen, you see how the sausage is made. Once you plug into a church, instead of just sitting on the pew passing time, once you get involved in the work of the church, and listen, if you're a believer and you're not involved in the work of the church, shame on you. But once you get involved in the work of the church, you're going to find out that the people you work alongside with are flawed, broken, and hurting. That is why Jesus came to save us. That is why he's given us his spirit so that we can walk to him, toward him, and become more like him. And so, yeah, you can, you can, a remedy would be you could leave the church, but you're just going to go from one fire into another fire. You're going to go from one frying pan into another frying pan. And, and mark my words, more often than not, after two or three attempts, many people walk away from the church.
and they blame the church. And listen, the church is the church, warts and all. My blame goes on the people who don't have the truth and patience in their heart to understand life's reality and the fiction that goes on. And so what is the remedy? Well, Paul gives us the remedy, and the remedy, it sounds very simplistic, but it is very truthful, and that remedy is faith. Now, faith is more than just believing in a sense. Faith is a total surrender of oneself to God. It's, it's, it's falling upon Him with everything about your life. And it begins, Paul gives us a bit of a, a, bit of a formula here. There, there are not a lot of formulas in the Bible, but there are some, and here's one. First of all, he tells them to rejoice in the Lord's person. Look at verse uh, 4 as we continue on. So Euodia and Syntyche, they're having their little scrape. Paul says, look, y'all need to gather around them, uh, bring them together. So what are you going to do? Well, get them to rejoice. Look what he says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice is just another way of expressing joy. It is joy that brings healing. And we have joy through faith in a God that meets all of our needs and provides everything that we could ever want, in a sense, physically and spiritually, physically, eventually in heaven. He's not going to give us everything we want now, but eventually in heaven, we're going to have peace and tranquility. We're going to have health. We're going to have eternal bliss. But that doesn't come now. It comes in heaven. But he gives us everything we need now. And therefore, we should rejoice always, he said. Again, I say rejoice. He, he repeated it because he wanted to emphasize it. See, in the original Greek, there were no exclamation points. You know, if we want to emphasize something today, we put an exclamation point behind it. But in Hebrew and Greek, they didn't have that. So in order to emphasize something, they repeated it. And so he says, rejoice always. And again, I will say rejoice. When we are finding joy in the Lord, when our joy comes from Him and what He wants rather than from our own agenda and what we want, then we experience true joy. He also says that we need to resign to the Lord's presence. Look what he said, presence. He says in verse 5, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, when he says the Lord is at hand, there could be a double meaning there. Yes, the Lord could come back any time, you know, and, and that's still true today as it was in Paul's day. But also the Lord is at hand. The Lord is here. Jesus said, where two or three are, are gathered in my name, there I'm in the midst. God is with us. And as a believer, God's spirit dwells in us. And he says, let your gentleness be known. The word gentleness there literally means moderation or resignation. In other words, instead of always contending against a brother or sister in Christ, instead of always fighting, there are times when we need to say, look, I'm not going to get my way. I'm going to resign from this argument and I'm going to trust God. I'm going to lean on Him. I'm going to give this issue, I'm going to give this struggle to Him. And you know, when we do that, when we resign our own wills, when we resign our own agendas, and we resign them to the Lord, and God's church comes together, what a testimony that is of the church. Let your gentleness be made known to all, because the Lord is at hand. God is in the midst of us, and this is His church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Listen, Mike Farley's not tasked with building West Concord Baptist Church. You're not tasked with that. We're tasked to work for him and with him as he does it. Therefore, this is not my enterprise. It's his. So we need to be, we need to be careful that we resign to the Lord's presence. He is in charge. This belongs to him. It's not my, 
It's not my enterprise. It's not my fight. It's his. So life's remedy is, is having enough faith in him to where we find our joy solely in him. We can enjoy and rejoice in the presence of the Lord. We can resign our wills and our agendas because the Lord is at hand. Uh, he is there with us. And finally, he tells us to relax in the Lord's power. Verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing. Oh, we sit and we, we rehearse, we nurse, we reverse, we transverse all the struggles that we have with that one man or that one woman in the church. Oh, the pastor drives me crazy. Oh, the deacons don't know what they're doing. Oh, I don't like the Sunday school teacher. I wish the, the children would do this. I wish the youth would do that. I wish the senior adults were more. And we get so disgruntled and upset. And we sit and fret and we worry and we gab and we gossip. And Paul says, don't worry about it. Be anxious for nothing. And listen, that doesn't just involve trouble in the tent. That involves every aspect of life, whether you're going through a health issue, money issue, job issue, coronavirus issue. He says, be anxious. Don't worry. Be anxious for nothing. But listen at this. Look at this rather. But in everything by prayer and supplication, prayer is communicating with God. Supplication is bringing our request to God. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So we relax in the Lord's power, first of all, through grateful prayer. We go to Him and take our problems. We take our, our, our frustrations. We take our, our situations and we take them to Him. And we leave them with Him. You know, we go and we share our hearts with God, grateful in the fact that He will meet those answers. He will provide what we're looking for, but He will do it His way according to His agenda and His will. He may do it in a way we don't like and understand, but that doesn't matter. What matters is his will gets done and his mission continues. So we need to relax in the Lord's power through grateful prayer and through guarding peace. God's guarding peace. Look what he says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. I love that phrase. It goes back to that passage I shared with you before from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Remember, it said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not under your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him and He will make smooth your paths. He says here, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, I may not get my way. Things may not work the way I want them to work. Somebody may not agree with me on something that I really hold dear. And it may frustrate me, may anger me, and I may not understand it. Why don't they see it? Why doesn't this work this way? But if I'm focused on Almighty God and finding my joy in Him rather than winning an argument, then I will have that peace of God. I will be calm and settled. And this peace, that says, will guard our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This guarding peace will guard our hearts. Instead of being an emotional mess, instead of always being in an emotional turmoil, we'll be calm. Our emotions will be even. We'll have peace. Not only that, but we won't be fretting and worrying and, and, and focused on things that don't matter. We'll be focused on God and our minds will be set at ease. We'll be able to lay down our heads at night and go to sleep. So life's remedy is faith. 
Faith enough in God that you trust Him with all the problems that you have. Faith enough in God that you realize this is His business, not necessarily yours. And God wants His church to succeed. So if there's a person who has a problem or if there's a, an action or if there's a, a thing that's a problem, if it's enough of a problem, you take it to God and say, God, if it's a problem, deal with it. And you and I have got to trust God, faith, We've got to trust Him enough that He will do it. We need to rejoice in His person. We need to resign to His presence. And we need to relax in His power through grateful prayer, guarding peace, which He will provide, which will guard our hearts and minds. In other words, we need to surrender and submit ourselves to the will and mission of God. You know, that's what the whole concept of holiness is all about, which is a subject for another series of sermons. But part of the joy, actually the, the source of joy, is setting ourselves, our hearts and minds aside for God, focused on God, used of God. Holiness and, and joy is what will see us through it. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, uh, evangelism uh, teacher and pastor, said this. He said, far too much ministry today is undertaken without any concern for holiness. In other words, instead of this being God's thing, we think it's our thing. He goes on to say, we found that changing the way we do church is easier than changing the way we are. Oh my goodness, we have all sorts of plans and we have all sorts of schemes and we have all sorts of things that we want to do. If we change the ministry here, if we do music this way, if we do children's ministry that way, if I can get the youth to do what I want them to do, if the senior adults will, and we want to change the aspect of church, Whereas if we want to calm the trouble in the tent, that change, we need to start with us. He says, we found that changing the way we do church is easier than changing the way we are. We found that we are not sufficiently unlike anyone else to garner notice. So we've attempted to become just like everyone else instead. We fuss, we fight, we fume, we disagree, we're disgruntled, we have our issues, I want my way, she wants her way. And all the while, where's the person who wants God's way? Where's the person who wants to set his or her life aside? Yes, sometimes it means you won't be agreed with. More often than not, that's the way it is. Yes, there are times when you're not going to get your way. But what's important is not your way or my way. What's important is God's way. Thomas Manton 17th century preacher, evangelist, said this about divisions in the church. And this is so poignant. When I read this, it stopped me short. It says, division in the church always, listen, <clears throat> always breeds atheism in the world. See, when we have trouble in the tent, we forget that people are watching us. We see People watching us all the time and you hear things like, well, I would go to church, but those Christians are so mean. I don't want to go there. Mahatma Gandhi said one time, I would be a Christian were it not for other Christians. You know, God is great, but his people are a mess. And more often than not, we're off putting instead of in bringing. And I wonder how many people have turned their backs upon God because of disputes, disgruntlements, and disagreements in the church, because of trouble in the tent. What we should be displaying to the lost world is joy. We should be displaying holiness. We should be displaying surrender. But instead, we bicker, 
We fight, we fuss, and people see that and they say, why should I be a part of that? I get this in my business. I get that in my family. I get that. I don't want that in the church. So they walk away. Division in the church always breeds atheism in the world. Such a strong statement. The answer to that we find as we close this morning is in John 13, 35. Jesus said this. He said, by this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, if you have love for one another. And that's what we need to do. We need to love someone else greater than ourselves. Matter of fact, that word love there literally means agape. And the word agape means a love that puts the other first. It was the same love that put Jesus on the cross when he put us even before himself. And yes, sometimes that means sacrifice. Sometimes that means I'm not going to get my way. Sometimes I'm not going to get agreement. But you know what? I either live with it and press on and trust God with the outcome, or I get mad, I pout, I walk away, sit in my corner, and watch the church deteriorate because of my selfishness. Watch people turn away from God because I have not given them a good example of joy in the Lord. See, I, I, one of the things I love to study is apologetics, proves and defense of the faith. And one of the things we need to do in the world is we need to prove that our faith is real to us that God and his mission is real to us. But if we're constantly trying to get our way and fight for our rights and push our opinions, how's that going to accomplish that mission? By this you will know that you are my disciples. By this rather all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Putting the other person first. Again, that's what Jesus did for us. The Bible says God took on flesh. He didn't have to. He was God. He was never, never born, never created. He would never die, never end. But nonetheless, because He created us, we fell into sin. We rebelled against Him. But in spite of that, God's amazing love, that agape love that puts the other first, He loved us anyway and clothed Himself in flesh, descended from heaven to the earth, and He lived a sinless life. The only human being who has ever done that because while He was human, He was God. And yet, even still... The disgruntled, the disillusioned took him, they scourged him, they, they mocked him, they beat him, and they crucified him. And he died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, listen, this wasn't a surprise to God. This was part of God's plan to send his son to be the payment for our sin. You and I could never pay for our sin. You and I cannot do anything to earn our salvation. Salvation is a free gift provided by God because Jesus paid for it. And people say, oh, you believe in cheap grace. No, I don't believe in cheap grace. Matter of fact, cheap grace is an oxymoron. Grace is priceless. It's unmerited favor. There's nothing you and I could do to earn grace. How can you cheapen something you can't earn to begin with? I don't believe in cheap grace. I do believe in cheapened grace when the believer who's received the grace of God doesn't live it out. But I believe in the free gift of salvation to all who would receive Jesus as their Savior. You come to Him and confess your sin, admit your sin, and cast your full faith and confidence in the Christ who died for your sin and paid for your sin by His death on the cross. He was buried, and yes, three days later, He rose again from the dead. And He now lives and abides with and in the church of Jesus Christ.
And if you're a believer, He abides in you. If you're not a believer, He wants to. So if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, please, at the end of this sermon, get on your knees. Confess your sinfulness before God. Confess your inability to save yourself and place your full faith and confidence in Jesus as your Savior. If you do know Jesus as Savior, look in the mirror and ask yourself, have I been a hindrance or a help to the Messiah and mission of the church? Or am I sitting pouting because I didn't get my way in a disagreement? Am I, am I sitting outside church because I don't like the way people fuss and fume? Because the church isn't perfect enough for me? Well, let me tell you a little secret. You and I aren't perfect enough for the church, but through the blood of Christ, we're allowed in. Isn't that great? So if you have ought against somebody right now, if you've got a grudge, a disgruntlement, a disagreement, then before the sun goes down on today, you get on your knees and seek God's grace and help. And then you get on your phone and make it right. Even if you have to bite the bullet and lose an argument, you need to get it right. Not just for the sake of your friendship, not even for the sake of the peace in the body of Christ, but for the sake of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's more important today than ever because people are looking, they're hungry, they're longing spiritually for something. This coronavirus is ripping us apart. The church of Jesus Christ has the answer and we need to live up to what God wants us to be so that we can faithfully and genuinely and authentically offer that answer. God bless you all, I love you all, and I hope to see you soon. Thank you for watching, thank you for listening. Take care, bye-bye. For additional sermon resources and to find out who we are, visit us online at westconcordchurch.com. Thanks for listening.